This morning, I don't know if you have, uh, if you've ever felt that um, you didn't have enough, that um, I, I guess I would say it's a spirit or a fear of lack um, that comes upon us, especially in, in our Western culture. Um, we sometimes forget that we have 90% more than anybody else in the world. Uh, but then we say, what if I don't have enough time? What if I don't have enough money? What if I don't have enough happiness? What if I don't have enough friends? What if I don't have a future? What if I don't have enough faith? Or maybe I'm not smart enough. Maybe I'm not pretty enough. Maybe I'm not tall enough. Maybe I'm not... And you can fill in the blank for whatever that is, but it just feels like, well, if I, if, if I were to... If I was to give or if I was to do this or that, then, then I wouldn't have enough. And, and that fear of lack keeps us from experiencing the blessing and the full life that Jesus wants for us. And you find that in John chapter 10 and, and verses 10 through 12 in there, he begins to sp- speak about the fact that, that there are two opposing parts. I've come to give you life. I've come to give you abundant life, but there's also one that's come to take from you, that's come to steal from you, that's come to kill from you, and you have to be able to understand the difference between those two, or you might think that I'm the one that takes from you, and I'm not the one that takes from you, I'm the one that gives to you, I'm the one that's for you, but, but our, our, nat- our, our natural response is that we think, hey, what I've got is mine, and it's for me, and and if I give it away, then what will I have? And what if I need it later? What if I don't have enough? And can I tell you the problem with that is that you'll never have enough. If you live with that mindset, you'll never have enough. Because it's always elusive. It's, it's always something out there that's, what if I need it for? What if I don't get another? That's all these what ifs. And that's just a sign of lack of faith. Instead of, God is my provider. God knows where I'm at. God knows what I'm going through. And if he wanted me to have it, he would bring it. And that's what's hard for us is that our our country, whether you like it or not, is not founded on what God wants for us. Our country is founded on the principle that we pick ourselves up, I work hard, and I get what I deserve, and this is mine. And yet that's not a biblical foundation. The biblical foundation is God is the ultimate provider. Nothing that we have has not come through his hands. And the problem is we want more than he wants for us at sometimes because he always has our best at heart and he knows that stuff can lead us astray. He knows that stuff can mess with our hearts. He knows that stuff can get us off of focus. And we spend so much time worrying about all this stuff and so little time worrying about what he wants us to do that then we wonder, why can't I connect with God? Well, your whole life is spent completely out of sorts with me. You're not thinking about me at all. The only time you think about me is when you need something and I already provided you with everything and now you can't trust me with it. You're thinking, what if I don't have enough? What if I don't have this? What if I don't have that? And all you do is ever question me. How about you just trust me? that, That brings us to a weird and awkward spot in our lives. And for many of us, if you've gotten over that hump, so to speak, and you realize, if God wanted me to have it, I would have it. And maybe he's not saying no, maybe he's just saying not yet. And maybe he's waiting because maybe there's some mess in my life that he's trying to get dealt with so that I don't ruin what he's trying to bring. Maybe I'm too immature at the time. Maybe I'm too unfocused and what he would give me would be wasted. 
But we never ask those questions. We just want what we want. And the reality is there are times where we have to come with grips to understand that maybe, and this may be a fresh revelation for some of you this morning, maybe what God is bringing to you is not even for you, it's for other people. Because that's a pretty repetitive process that he talks about in the scriptures. I'm blessing you to be a blessing to others. From the very beginning with Abraham, he said, I'm going to bless you. You can be the father of, of, of many nations, and the nations will be blessed because of you. Now think about that. I'm going to bless you, but I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to the nations. Now think about that. And yet here's a man that didn't have anything to be blessed about until God provided. And it didn't mean he didn't worry, and it didn't mean he didn't try to take it into his own hands. But at the end of the day, the reality is even what God gave him, he said, now give him back. I gave you Isaac, now give him back. He was mine to give, now give him back. Can I trust you with what I've given you? That's a big question. Can God trust you with what he's given you? Or are you holding it so tight, this is mine? Well, you may think it's yours, but you didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And it wasn't given just for you to grip tightly. It was given to go in and to go out. And when we try to grip something is when that flow stops. You think about that. You take a hose and you grip it tight enough. What happens to the flow of water in that hose? It slows to a trickle and eventually it'll stop. No matter what's on the other side, that hose, you, was designed for God's blessing to flow through. And when we short-circuit that, then we end up having a spirit or a fear of lack. What if? What if I'm not enough? What if I can't get there? What if I can't retire? What if I, like I said, you can fill in your own blank, and everybody's got those blanks that you fill in of, of how we live our life. But we also have to remember that living that way is just basically saying, God, I don't trust you. Now, I know you're not thinking that, but that's the truth. When we don't trust God by our lifestyle, it's not about what you're doing on Sunday morning. Sunday is great. You showed up, and I'm so glad you're here this morning. And I'm not going to take up an extra offering. We're not talking about taking up money this morning. You can breathe a sigh of relief. It's not about money at all. It's about a concept. It's about who do I trust when it feels like I might not have enough? What do I do when I feel like I might not have enough? Do I have to struggle and strain and try to fill it in with overtime? Do I look to my boss? Do I look to the world? Do I look to a government service? Do I, or do I look to my God who says he will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches? Did you know the scriptures actually say that? He will supply all of my needs according to his glorious riches. The problem is he never says he'll supply all of our greeds. And that's what we want. We want him to give us the over and abundant. And I just want, I want to make sure that I always have more than enough. But do you understand that that weakens your faith? Because when you have more than enough, you don't need to trust God. And don't hold this to scripture this morning. This is just me. 
this is why the church at large in the world, not just here, it's not Longview, it's not you this morning, it's just the church. That's why the world is turning its back on God is that we are so blessed, we don't need God anymore. You don't have to wait in line three days to get bread someplace. You don't have to worry about not having, I mean, you can go to the emergency room whether you've got money or not. We can be people that absolutely don't need God because we've got all this blessing and all this abundance and yet still inside of us there is still a fear of lack. It was designed inside of us somehow that God knew that we were going to need him. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? I've given you everything that you need. I walk with you. I talk with you. I supplied all the trees. I've given you life. I've given you everything that you need to exist eternally. And then all of a sudden they say, but I want more. I need that fruit. I... I, I want to be like you. What if, what if he's keeping something from us? What if, what if there's more to be had? What if? And that creates fear and it creates separation. You can read that story to see what happened to start a process that we've inherited today. But I want to share another story that, that really highlights this really well this morning. This is in Matthew chapter 15. We're going to read verses 32 through 38. And remember, these stories, we call them stories, but I, I want to make this clear. A story doesn't mean it's fake, and a story doesn't mean it's just something that's said. A, the story or this dialogue is an event that really happened. And the reason that he needed it to happen is that he wanted to show his followers a spiritual principle, just like I'm hoping that you'll get this morning, is it's not just about, oh, that's cool, and oh, there's a miracle, and well, you can either see just the miracle, or you can see past the lens of the miracle and realize it's for us for today. So here we go. Jesus calls his disciples together, and he tells them, I feel sorry for these people, and and the backstory is this. He's been traveling, he's been preaching, and this big crowd has been following him, and they followed him out into the middle of a deserted area. There's nothing around, and so he's starting to feel sorry for these people. Now, we're going to stop right here, because it's a short passage this morning, so I'm going to do a little bit more teaching and preaching, preaching, whatever you want to call it, and here's the reality. When you look out into a world that looks like it's falling apart, do you feel sorry for those people? That's the heart of Jesus. Did you know that? See, I find a lot of people grumbling, complaining, and saying, well, serves them right. Imagine if Jesus had done that. All these people are starting to say, we're getting a little hungry. He said, serves you right. Where'd you come out into the middle of nowhere for? Serves you right. What are you complaining for? You should have brought lunch. Why are you following me around? If you don't have lunch, go home and get lunch. But isn't it amazing that Jesus sees where people are at? Jesus sees what's going on with people. And he feels sorry for them. In fact, there's lots of verses that say he was moved with compassion. He saw their need and he was moved with compassion. He didn't say, well, it's, it's your fault that you're a leper. So maybe we got to just start right there. When you look around at the world outside that don't know Jesus, do you feel sorry for them or do you feel like, oh, those sinner people? They've been here with me for three days, and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry, or they're going to faint along the way. Look at this. He's like, I know I could say, hey, you guys need to go home, take a break. And he's like, but I realize that this is going to be hardship for them. Some of them have been traveling for a long time, and they're hungry, and I, I care about what's going to happen to them. Okay? 
guess who also hasn't eaten during that time? Jesus, right? Because that would be the epitome of the horrible leader that everybody's sitting out there going, oh, and he's like, hey, where's my lunch? This is great stuff. (laughs) And sits there and eats in front of him, but he doesn't. And the great part is he could have, right? He could have manifested bread. He could have said, pizza. But he's worried about them. I want to make sure they're doing okay. Now, here's where the teaching opportunity comes in. Look at verse 33. The disciples, I love them because they're ordinary people like you and me. He says, hey, let's, let's feed these people. I feel bad. And his disciples say, where are we going to get enough food? I think it's funny that they're questioning Jesus. Where are we going to get enough food? Do, have you looked around? Have you seen a pizza hut? Have you, there's a restaurant. There's not even water here. We, I mean, now, before you start to wonder what they're saying, could it be that Jesus intentionally led people to that spot? And maybe he's leading you to a spot where there doesn't seem to be enough for a specific reason. If Jesus doesn't make mistakes because he's God, then he wasn't like, oh, gee, I must have got lost along the way. I didn't realize we're going to a deserted space. But the disciples didn't get it. They're like, what are you going to do? How are we going to feed these people? There's, There's nothing here. And I wish Jesus to just say, yeah, right. Figure it out. But he didn't. There's not enough food here in the wilderness for such a huge crowd. So Jesus asks a really great question. Let's translate it to today. We, we find ourselves in a spot where we feel like there's, there's not enough for the big crowd, and Jesus turns to you and he says, how much money do you have? Does it become personal then? Because notice who he's asking. He's not asking the hungry people. He's asking his followers, how much money do you have? Actually, he said, how much bread do you have, right? How much bread do you have? And I, I can guarantee you that since they're human, just like you and me, they thought, well, I've got enough bread for me. I came prepared. I've got my bread, Right? So let me pause there for just a second as you as we'll slip a little bit out from underneath that easiness. Again, I'm not going to ask you for money this morning. Melissa and I have a, a long-term friend. They're older than us. They're the ones very instrumental in helping us come to faith. Wonderful man of God, uh, patient and kind, and, and yet he was a guy that was always trying to get ahead. He was always trying all these get-rich-quick things. He was always, hey, let's do this investment. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, and I loved his heart, but this, is, this was his heart. He had sat me down many times and said, I would love to get to the place where I could support you that you weren't dependent on the church for your future or your finances. I was like, well, that's, that's awesome. But you know what he never did? He never reached into his wallet and gave me one dollar. He was looking for a way. He was looking for a system. He was looking for something to supply a need 
that didn't require it coming from him. Just like many of us do. I'd be happy to help, but, right? Because that money I've got is my money. That money that I've saved is my money. Those resources that I've purchased are mine. That car is my car. That house is my house. And Jesus turns around, and I can guarantee you, even though it doesn't say it in the Scriptures, I can guarantee you that the disciples had bread because they knew they were traveling. Not only because for them, but it was part of their role to make sure that they provided for him. They had to set up the rooms. They had to keep him fed as well because they're following him, just the role of student and master. But here he is. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? And notice what they said. We don't have any. That's not what they said, did they? What did they say? We have seven loaves and a few small fish. Okay? Now, according to the Scripture, there's 4,000 plus people. How much do you think seven loaves, and we're not talking about 12-foot high rounds of bread, right? <laughs> so think about, even if it was a loaf of bread, think about that. They didn't make big loaves like that. They made like big rounds of bread. So think of it as a personal pan-sized pizza. We've got seven of those, and we've got some, some little fish. Notice that. Few small fish. Not a few small 14-foot sturgeon. Not a few small 150-pound halibut. Not, I mean, we've got a few small fish. Because remember, they're carrying them. (laughs) Right? They didn't run to the store, hey, we found some fish. They're carrying them with them. We've got some dried fish, and we've got seven loaves. And I love this. He didn't say, oh, good, let's sit down and eat, and, and I hope that everybody else figures it out. He just asked, what have you got? What have you got? So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Sit down. We don't want a mad rush. We don't want there to be panic. I want you to sit down and relax. But he's also prepping them for something because people didn't eat at tables like we eat at tables. They ate on the ground. They reclined. And so he's like, we're about to eat. So go ahead and get yourself comfortable. Got them all sitting on the ground. He took the seven loaves and the fish. And what did he do? He thanked God for them. Now think about this for a minute. If you owe $4,000, let's, let's take the 4,000 of people and we make that a bill. If you owe $4,000, but you've only got $7 and a few cents, the loaves become dollars and the fish become cents, and you say, okay, I owe $4,000 and I only have... Uh, $7 and a few cents. Do you say, oh, thank God? Or do you have a fear of lack? What am I going to do? I have no way to pay this. This is not enough. I don't, there's, all you see is the difference. All you see is the gap. All you see is the lack. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have enough. And yet, look at what Jesus did. He held up, nothing happened at this point. He still got seven loaves. And a few fish, and yet he thanks God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for what's been provided. Thank you. And and for some of you, this is where you're going to struggle, and I get it this morning. 
But did you notice that it wasn't Jesus that had the loaves and the fish? He wasn't worried about how he was going to eat. He asked his disciples, what have you got? And yet he wasn't saying, you know, I'm hungry too. Let's get some food. He never once suggests that. I'm worried about them. They've been following me. I've got compassion on them. I don't want them to pass out. I don't want them to have to take this long journey home. And then he did something. He took what was handed to him, these this not enough, and he broke it into pieces. He just began to break the bread. He had to break the fish. And then he ate it. Does your scripture say that? This is going to be deep this morning, but it's going to hit you right in the heart. He took the lack, he took the not enough, broke it, and then did what with it? Read your word this morning. Gave it to his, gave it to you, and gave it to me. So that they could eat? Gave it to his disciples who did what? Distributed the food to the crowd. He took the not enough, thanked God, broke it, which doesn't make sense. We're going to make it smaller. We've got barely enough. Let's make it smaller. Now, there's people that they want to dismiss the miracle altogether, and they want to say, well, he just pulled off a a finger full. I mean, think about this, folks. How small a piece would you have to take of seven loaves and some fish to feed 4,000 people. And even if he did that, then a greater miracle happened at the end, and you're going to see it. Even if he gave everybody a thimble full, half of the thimble is bread, half of the thimble is fish, then a greater miracle takes place. Here we go. Gave it to his disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. Verse 37, they all ate as... It didn't say they just ate their piece, right? Are you reading that? They all ate as much as they wanted. And remember the beginning, it said the people are hungry, right? They all ate as much as they wanted. Whew, thanks for the food. That was amazing. I don't know where they got that from. You guys are incredible. And then afterward, the disciples picked up Seven large baskets of leftover food. Now, how is this possible? We didn't have enough to begin with. Then you broke it up into smaller things. And then everybody already ate. And now we've got leftovers. There were 4,000 men who were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. We don't know how many women and children, but 4,000 people ate their fill from seven loaves and a few fish. 
And there was stuff left over. Because Jesus didn't scrimp and just say, okay, everybody take one tiny little piece, right? Because that's what we do when we have a spirit of lack. That's when we say, I've only got so much, and so I can only give so much. I can only offer so much. I've only got so much time to give, so I can only give this much. Instead of saying, thank God for what you've given me. I want to give it to the full. I'm going to give... Somebody gave all of their seven loaves. Somebody gave all of their fish so that everybody could eat. Because it didn't, they didn't get seven loaves from everybody. They got seven loaves, period, to feed 4,000. And so that small little thing that we think isn't enough, when it's placed in the hands of Jesus Christ, it becomes more than enough. But it's not for us. Where they could have just, this is, this is the reverse miracle. The disciples, because remember, there's 12 of them, 13 including Jesus, 13 people would have consumed that amount and they wouldn't have been full. 13 men would have sat down and could have consumed five, seven loaves and some fish and they wouldn't have been full and there would have been a 4,000 plus hungry people. And yet in the hands of Jesus Christ, taking our not enough and giving it to him, we thank God for it and he begins to fill and he fills what we can't fill, but we fill the others. And guess what? The disciples are going, how did we get these baskets full of food left over? It's not about having a great food system. (laughs) It's not about portion control. It's not about mathematics. Okay, how do we divide seven loaves and some fish 4,000 ways? That's all of our logic. That's why we have the spirit of lack, because there's no way to divide up the seven loaves to equal out to get 4,000 people fed. That's where trust comes in. And that was the lesson he wanted them to learn is, guess what? All it takes is that small thing that you've got, you give it to me. That thing that you don't think you have enough of, you give it to me. That small thing that you know, it's, it, there's no way that it fills the gap. But in my hands, I make it more than it once was. I take your time and I can expand it. I can take your money and I can expand it. I can take what little thing that you've got, just a few small fish, and I can make those things last and feed you to the full. I can make the maximum out of your minimum. That's the power of God. The problem is we don't want to trust him because we're thinking, if I give you what little I have left, I'll have nothing. This is the American problem. If I give what little I have left, I'll have nothing. And church, I can tell you this. If we have nothing but we have God, we have all that we need. If you give all that you've got and you've still got God, if it's taken from you, if everything you've got is taken and you've still got God, you've got all that you need. It may not be comfortable, it may not be pleasant, but you've got all that you need. And that's the problem is we don't want to have to depend on him. We don't want to have to give him what little we've got left because I've scrimped and I've saved and I've tried my best to keep this in case I don't have enough. What's amazing is whether this was from the disciples coming up with their amount. And and if it was the disciples, I can only imagine the grumbling that was going on because they grumble a lot in in these stories. (laughs) Great, he's going to take our food and give it to all these. There's 4,000 people. There's no way we're going to get any of this. 
But to Jesus, who's been around forever, he remembers manna in the desert where people had nothing and God provided. He remembers diverting a flock of quail to them when they got tired of manna and wanted meat, when they had nothing and he gave them more than enough. But it's a human problem. And don't feel guilty this morning and don't feel bad, but hear the message this morning, which is the small thing that you have in the hands of Jesus Christ can become something for others. Because when you hoard it and you keep it, you've only got what you got. And that's what I'm saying. I can't imagine Jesus saying, okay, everybody sit down. I want you all to watch the disciples eat. It wasn't a principle of Jesus. It shouldn't be a principle for us to hoard and to scrimp and to save and to clutch and to grip and to because what he's brought into our lives is to be a blessing to the nations. And that doesn't mean you have to send away your whole paycheck and it doesn't mean that every last cent has to be given to somebody somewhere, but it's the heart of the matter. Because if the need didn't arise, he wasn't going to just say, okay, we've traveled three days, pay up. The cost of this journey is seven loaves and three fish. So here's what's going to get tight for this minute. Some of you look at that way with tithes and offerings. You look at that way through the pocketbook of God. You've surrendered a lot of things in your life, but you still hang on to money. You still hang on to your future. You still hang on to your health. You still hang on to, because you're like, I'm going to be in control of that because he may not do it when I need him to or what I need him to do. And there's a distrust disconnect. But he brought to you, and, and believe me, whatever you think you're keeping will go away. Whether it's money, which is a big issue in every church today, or time, I just don't have enough time. You have enough time. You just don't feel like you have enough time, and you're not willing to give that little bit of time left over, because that's for me. I've got to have my me time. I know you've heard me talk about it before. I have incredible grandchildren. And that's all from her genes because they would be hooligans if they were my genes. But I've noticed something about my grandchildren. The beautiful, wonderful, smart, brilliant. They are selfish little sinners. <laughs> they don't give a squat about my me time. Especially my beautiful beautiful, mouthy granddaughter trying to eat. Papa, are you going to play with me? As soon as I'm done eating. Are you done? Nope, I'm still eating. Is somebody going to play with me? Somebody? Somebody? Now, she's not walking around now. She's standing right there looking at me. Is somebody going to play with me? And I know who somebody is. Somebody's me. But she doesn't care that I haven't eaten. She doesn't care about the me time. She doesn't care what I've done all that day. She doesn't know. She doesn't care. And I'm sure at three years old, it's hard to wait the whole 15 minutes it's going to take me to finish my meal. But would it be any different with us? 
to wait for God to do what he's going to do? To sit down instead of running around, instead of trying to figure it out and fret and be frantic and panic and, oh my God, what are we going to do about food? Uh, I didn't know we were going to be gone this long. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Hey, sit down. Hey, relax. What have you got? We're so unmotivated to give what's ours to meet needs most of the time because of the disconnect of lack. And God has put us through experiences, Melissa and I both, of having to trust Him when we don't have enough and we don't have enough time and we don't have enough this or that. And yet, here we are today. We haven't starved to death. We have a house to live in. But it doesn't mean it's always comfortable. There's a tension. When we launched out into our first uh, ministry time, I'm excited. We're both excited. I quit my job, give my two weeks notice. We get two weeks to go find a house. Go over, find a house. Nope. Go over to find a house. Nope. Go over to find a house. Nope. Go over to find a house. Nope. Pretty soon, uh, God... Two days before our two weeks was up, I'm in Pasco driving around, looked at a house, already been rented, got lost as I commonly do as when I drive, ended up on a street. I didn't even know where I was at, trying to get back to where I thought I could get back to. And I see a sign, house for rent. Awesome. I pull up, but the owner's there with another couple already and too late now. I didn't even know. I didn't put an application. Got out, explained what was going on, what we were doing. And the owner said, I'll just let you have it. I'll give it to you right now. But it wasn't in the paper. It wasn't on my list. And I was all fretting and frantic because I've got, I, I will be without a job. <laughs> I have to move. Now, why did God wait that long? I, I don't know. Maybe it was for me. Maybe he was waiting for that situation. That's the thing that when you're in the midst of it, you're questioning all the whys. Now, it's part of the history of thank God. I thank God with the little time that I had left that he came through. I thank God with the little things in my life that if I can give them to him and trust him, the, the, sometimes those precious things, those things that we say, you can have everything, you just can't have this. And maybe it's our emotions, maybe it's our feeling, maybe it's our money, maybe it's our, I don't know what it is for you, but many times we tend to hold something back thinking, if I give this away. And it's this paradox that we have, and we're going to wrap this up here. God has a paradox of provision. Look it. God tends to take what seems like not enough, and when we put it in His hand, it becomes more than enough. That's just fact, church. That's the paradox. He takes what seems to be not enough and he makes it more than enough. Did you read the story? There's not enough. He makes it more than enough. Baskets left over. We only see what we do and don't have. Right? He sees what could be. When he spoke at the very beginning to a a world that didn't exist and he spoke into a void, he saw something that if we were there, we would have seen nothing. Nothing. There's nothing there. And he would have said, watch this. 
God also sees what we can be in his power. He knows who you can be. He knows what you can do. But again, it means releasing that thing to him. We tend to think of ourselves first, but Jesus was concerned for others. And I believe that that's a cycle that starts. And it doesn't mean, like I said, that you give everything away. Now, if God tells you to give everything away, then do it. But if he doesn't, be wise. But I can guarantee you he's not telling you hoard everything. You better grip tight everything you've got. He will never say that. The scripture is full of it. If someone comes and asks you for a shirt, give him your coat too. Don't turn him away and say, come back tomorrow if you can meet the need today. These are just a few of the scriptures where it's about us thinking about others first. This is a Jesus principle. And when we live our lives thinking about us first, we're not being good followers. We're no different than those disciples that said, hey, these guys are hungry. What are you going to do? And he turns around and says, what have you got? What have you got? Ah, that's a good question. And last but not least, he often uses our extra not to waste on us or to use for ourselves, but to be the provision of God for others. Just imagine if maybe the raise that he gave you, the extra that he gave you, wasn't even for you. It was to bless somebody else with to show the glory of God, to show a kingdom principle to others instead of, thank God, I'm getting a jet ski. How about... How about he blessed you with that extra time to not sit and watch Netflix for eight hours? How about he blessed you with that extra gifting or that extra paycheck or that extra car or that extra... And God has shown up. I mean, there's been times where... Again, it it hasn't been all great. I am not a prosperity preacher because there's been times where I have felt the sting of following God where we've given away two cars and I'm riding a bike to work. And in my heart, I thought, he'll supply my need. Yeah, he supplied a bike. I wanted a car. He supplied legs. He supplied a strong body. And it's not always each for each. Oh, you give away a car, I'll give you a better car. That's the the horrible prosperity teaching of today that is not found in the gospel. It's about trusting him to do with what he wants to do with. So if you had a bulletin this morning, there's two little fish in there. I'm going to call you to some boldness this morning and ask you some questions as we wrap up. What are you afraid to put in his hands? Your marriage? Money? Your sex? Your identity? Your future? Your security? Your decisions? Other? What what are you afraid to give to God because what if I don't have enough? What if time runs out? What if I can't? In his hands, what seems like not enough becomes more than enough. And you've got to determine, I'm not going to fear lap. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to hold back. My small amount may be the provision for somebody else. 
And if that blows you away, that's how God took care of the poor. He didn't have a welfare plan. He said the people that are blessed with lots of crops, you leave 10% in the corner of your crops, and then the people that don't have enough, they come and glean out of your crops. And instead of saying, well, nope, those are my seeds. That's my crop. They understood that God had a principle because sometime you may have a need. And you may have to wait on the provision of a stranger. I've been there. Where God shows up, not through the extra paycheck, but through somebody else that followed a godly principle and blesses you. And it should humble you. But I want to ask you as, you, as you get ready to go today, what are you afraid to put in his hands? Maybe you need to write that down. You don't have to do it right here and right now, but take this home with you. And begin to ask yourself, why can't I give that to God? When will I give it to God? <laughs> what are you afraid to put in his hands this morning?